Welcome to episode 45 of the Contrafabulist podcast. I'm Audrey Waters. And I'm Ken Lane, and I'm still getting used to that that name announcement, but I like it. <laughs> I like it too, and I said it correctly. Hooray me. Uh... This was a a week when we when we sat down to sort of we always sort of on Sunday morning say like what are, what are we going to talk about in the podcast? Uh, we have enough to fill I think several shows today. Uh, I mean this was this was a, a an intense week. Yeah. What um, I mean it, this one thing I really like about doing this is is we sit down and we go well what what the fuck just happened this week? Which I feel like at first coming into this year I was like man. I don't know if I can endure and 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 do this for you know four years, but now I'm like, all right, no, we need this. What's the news? What happened? What the fuck? So what what was the the kind of list this week? I know you have a, a short little list. Well, um, this was uh, it, 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 I hardly well, well. Where should we start the week? I mean. Sunday night we watched the Oscars, which were ended in a bizarro version of their own, but isn't really directly related to tech. Um, actually, I think it was a very low-tech um, mistake that that Warren Beatty was handed the wrong envelope when he read misread the winner of the Best Picture. Um, but Monday, it all sort of started on Monday. Monday. Uh, Betsy DeVos, the Secretary of Education, released a statement about a meeting that Trump, uh, she and Trump, had had with the leaders of HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, in which she praised these schools as being, quote, the real pioneer of school choice, which was um, uh, a racist and historically revisionist way of thinking about schools that were really created because if there was a choice, if we were to talk about a, quote, choice, the choice was either, for many um, African Americans, um, either an HBCU or no school at all, right? That was the choice. Um, but yet in their effort, I think, to really tout, quote, choice, um, th- this was this was what she said. So the sort of the the week didn't start off well for the Trump administration. I think this is like the third or fourth time that um, DeVos has sort of put her foot in it. Um, you think they would they would stop letting her go out? Um, it seems like every time she goes out, there's some 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 calamity. It is really interesting because typically the the Secretary of Education position job. I mean, I think obviously I pay attention to it because of, you know, my work in education journalism, but it's, it's not usually the most controversial, um, position in the cabinet, right? Um, that's often saved for, for, for different roles and we'll get to other members of of the cabinet in a sec, but that's Monday. So Tuesday was a lot of apologizing and retracting and backtracking and issuing statements that reframed the thing. And Tuesday night, Congress, or excuse me, Trump gave his first address to a joint session of Congress, not the State of the Union. It's not called the State of the Union for a newly inaugurated president, but um, the equivalent sort of of, of of the State of the Union. And we didn't watch it because... I can't. I just we, can't. We, we couldn't. We couldn't handle... Uh, we couldn't handle either the, the content or the form of, of, of Trump. But interestingly, many pundits decided to really strangely, although 
from all accounts, it didn't seem like Trump gave very many details on his plans. But pundits really seemed to praise him as being quote unquote presidential. So it seemed like it was going to be a good week for Trump. People kept saying, oh, he's going to get a bounce in the polls from this. Um, but he had, I think, less than 24 hours to bask in the glory of successfully reading from a teleprompter before the Washington broke, Post broke a story that um, Attorney General Jeff Sessions had met with the ambassador from Russia and had lied about it under oath when during his confirmation hearing. I'm, not, I'm not, shocked. I'm shocked. <laughs> not a good look. I know. It's funny that, that a person who has, again, a history of, of overt racism and just sort of generally abhorrent political beliefs would actually um, not be a truthful, a truthful person either. So that's, that, that, that wasn't good, considering all of the connections and the perceived connections and alleged connections between um, the Trump campaign, of which Sessions was an early and, and vocal um, member, um, and, and the Russian government, not, not a good look. Uh, by Thursday, he had recu said he would recuse himself from any Department of Justice investigations. Wow, recuse. I mean, how many of these are we going to have to have before... Um, this moves out of the fake news category for wait, for the administration. Wait, that's more. That's just that's just up till Thursday. Also on Thursday, we learned that Vice President Mike Pence used a private email um, for government work when he was the um, governor of Indiana, and even better, it had been hacked. But Hillary had emails on her own server. <laughs> And wait, but wait, there's more. Um, so Saturday morning, I woke up to what I think has become sort of like this horrific experience that many of us have, particularly on the West Coast, where we like the East Coast, at least, has sort of had a couple of hours to sort of address this. But like for 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 the. Um, for those of us on the West Coast, we wake up and everyone is sort of already like three hours into a, a panic about what, what Trump has, has tweeted. And he seems to have this habit of really sort of the most unhinged tweets come during Shabbat um, when, you know, we might assume perhaps that uh, Ivanka uh, isn't there to take, to take his unsecure Android away. But he tweeted a series of accusations um, and this, you know, this does tie to what, one of the things we'll talk about in this episode. He, he, a series of accusations that Obama had wiretapped the phones at Trump Tower during the campaign. Um, he said this was um, Nixon Watergate level scandal. He called Obama a bad, sick man. And, uh, there were a series of, I think, four four tweets um, about the wiretapping, and then a follow-up tweet um, a, saying that Arnold Schwarzenegger had not voluntarily left The Apprentice; that he'd been fired. Um, wow! I mean, I'm I'm assuming. I mean, from what I've seen, he got this from one of his two usual sources, which is Breitbart. Um, or Fox News, which is, you know, what he seems to watch, gets these ideas in, in his head and then um, acts like they're, they're reality. Um, making this, I mean, this just feels like, you know, we have my crazy uncle sitting 
you know, in the White House right now and just ranting about shit on a Saturday morning, um, it's mind-blowing. So it's, I mean, the and of course then the, you know, the speculation around this has already, I think... um, fairly problematic with because there are many things that we we don't know about well there are many things that we don't know about the allegations around the Russian involvement in the Trump campaign about the Russian involvement um, um, with uh, quote unquote hacking the elections um, there have been some reporting that there were attempts to get um, attempts to get a, a, a warrant. Um, from the FISA court in order to um, sort of look more closely at, at these allegations. But it's all, it's all, I mean, it's not, it's, uh, it's classified, <laughs> it's classified information. But what you said is, I think, what I think is one of the many things that's really damaging about this is that, you know, the, the president of the United States has access to all of the intelligence that the various intelligence agencies have collected, and not just collected since January 20th, but have collected historically, right? And so Trump, as president of the United States, would, would have access to intelligence that Obama would have seen. This is, this is, <laughs> this is how that works. Um, but he said, he claimed that he had just learned about this on Friday, which Friday was the date that Breitbart published a story detailing its sort of set of... Um, a set of, of evidence that it claimed that that Obama had um, engaged in this sort of illegal illegal um, spying on the on the Trump on the Trump campaign. Um, so the man's not getting this information from intelligence briefings, which is I think frightening frightening for a number of levels. Be- I mean, it, <laughs> it's the president's job to make you know, make, make decisions based on, based on these briefings. And is Trump not getting them? Is he not listening? Is he not paying attention? It is information being withheld from him because of some of these reports of concerns about that his cabinet's been, been infiltrated. And so it's, it's really, it's really disconcerting. And it also, I think, demonstrates a, a lack of knowledge about the law, which is, Barack Obama, the President of the United States, cannot issue a command that someone's phones get tapped. That's not how it works. Well, and and, and for me, I mean, this is this is why we do why we do contrafabulous. Why we are contrafabulous is is pushing back on. I mean, this is different than the U.S. intelligence apparatus and the deep state and, and the military industrial complex, all the all the enemies I'm used to fighting, you know, they're still chugging along doing what they're doing, but we have the fake news has gone from influencing the election to basically being the intelligence source for the White House. So we have technology driving this in that uh, Putin and their disinformation um, crews can put something out there, plant a seed, and if it uh, pulls well, with the Facebook crowd, um, with the Twitter crowd, with the alt right, with the the basically the feeds and the sources for Fox News and Breitbart, which is basically his intelligence, that is a very very dangerous 
uh, technology apparatus. And that's basically Silicon Valley is enabling this Facebook, Twitter, and all of these platforms are um, making this so. Well, I think that, I mean, uh, yeah, I think that this has obviously escalated well, you know, I mean, this has escalated well beyond the quote-unquote sort of things that we, fake, fake news issues that we talked about during the, you know, during and immediately after the presidential campaign. I mean, there are a lot of issues. There are a lot of issues here. Um, the fact, like I joked a minute ago, that, that he is tweeting from an unsecure Android phone. That's a problem. Um, it's a problem that, he, that he's not obviously getting intelligence briefings. That's a problem. It's a problem that he doesn't seem to understand how laws work. Um, that's a problem. Uh, the fact that that misinformation and disinformation, outright lies, are coming from the president of the United States is a huge problem, right? So you know, when we think about you know how do you how do you know whether or not to trust a source? You know, there are there are chapters out of um, middle school teachers' lectures about teaching their students when to evaluate a source and. You know, to have to say, well, uh, the president is not a trustworthy source um, is, 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 is incredible. I mean, it's, it's simply incredible. And, you know, I think that there are a lot of, a lot of things that we've, you know, uh, there are a lot of issues that, 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 are, that are wrapped, wrapped up in this. But, cert, you know, but certainly, you know, we find ourselves in this very strange position of, um, you know, I, you know, I don't want to be, I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, the, the FISA court has been problematic. The extension of surveillance powers, um, of, of the NSA and of the F FBI is problematic. Um, and it's, it, we find ourselves in a very strange position now that, um, uh, and I, I see people sort of rooting, you know, rooting that there's that you know that we do have tapes on tapes on this, and it's all it's all really gross and and, and complicated, and not what you want to wake up to on a Saturday morning. Well, I I worry that we're we're becoming just like the average Trump supporter. You know, the ones that I have in my head that I know personally that are like you know the world's always out to get them. There's always someone. Um, something bad happening and, and, and it's coming for them. I mean, I feel like that's what we're getting conditioned to here is like we're this, this constant assault. And again, it's, it's technologically enabled. It's, it's your Twitter, you know, sending us these, you know, um, it's our Facebook and then it's all being rolled back in into this algorithm that I feel is, 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 you know, feeling basic because of, you know, what gets people going, what, generates the eyeballs and the clicks the the revenue i mean this is all driven from that kind of monetary focus and and the bigger of a shit storm the more eyeballs and more focus it has yeah i think that um it's funny i have i actually have donald trump blocked on twitter um <laughs> it's a new actually a of new, course you do <laughs> it but i never it, it never it doesn't actually stop me from seeing news about him or seeing what he said, right? It's, it's, it's just, I, I would prefer to not have his, his words retweeted into my timeline, but it's, it is inescapable. And so there's something about the technology platform, but there is also something about the way in which, 
um, the the conspiracy theories. Um, and when you think about Donald Trump, like think of all of the conspiracy theories that he has peddled um, since his sort of move into the political sphere, right? That Bar Barack Obama um, was not born in the United States, that Ted Cruz's father participated in the JFK assassination, that vaccines um, don't work, that global climate change is a Chinese conspiracy, and now that somehow Barack Obama um, is, you know, is in, the, is in his phone wire, in his phone line at, at Trump Tower is, and the man is, the man is full of these conspiracy theories. So they're certainly being spread by technologies. Technology certainly facilitates the spread of this disinformation, and it does change. I think, it does change people's minds in ways that are really troubling, and in part changes people's minds because this is the president of the United States who says this, right? The president of the United States who is, is lying to us and we haven't really, um, we haven't really experienced anything quite like this before. I mean, presidents lie, right? Like that's, but this, but this embrace of conspiracy theory as, as political, um, as his as his political platform is, I think, is is quite new, and it's really it is really challenging. Um, it's really challenging to address, and the way in which you know thinking about the role of the expanded surveillance technologies is, um, I, I don't know how you know how do we undo this, and certainly how do we undo this with Trump at the helm and Jeff Sessions at the helm. Um, and Betsy DeVos at the helm, right? That, that we have this sort of conflagration of really dangerous racist billionaires um, who know very little about technology, right? Mike Pence with using AOL, um, still using AOL. Um, you know, this is one, this is like this one version of the techno techno technology the, the people in power and their views of technology. And then we have these other technologists that I want to talk, I mean, I really, actually, I don't know how long we've run. I really want to spend most of this time talking about the, the Uber story this week because it's well, I mean, shocking. That's, but that's, I just want to briefly say, though, that we have this other set of technologists that are involved in different narratives. Right? This week, um, Elon Musk made the groundbreaking claim that he's going to launch people into orbit around the moon by 2018. Right. And Bezos, Jeff Bezos, said he's going to work to get Amazon stores delivery, Amazon delivery to the moon. And Richard Branson, the third um, millionaire bro, tech bro, said, well, he's just actually going to stick to do working with satellites because there's a lot of money there. But there's a very, there, you know, there are these techno-political moves being made by other people that are not, not necessarily in the Trump White House, but Musk is working, you know, Musk is working as a technological, scientific and technological advisor to Trump. And up until recently, so was Travis Bickle. And that's my little segue to talk to about. Well, I mean, oh, well, real quick, just bring it back to, I mean, just while the crazy orange uncle is in the White House doing this, I mean, you have Peter Thiel, you know, 
taking control of this surveillance apparatus. He's selling the Muslim database to ICE to to make enable all of that. We have the FCC dismantling basically all privacy, all security, basically going to make it illegal to even co- be concerned with privacy in this environment. So while he's doing this 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 sh- political shit show, there's all these other vultures going on. But to really accent the craziness of our of our orange uncle in the, in the White House, you know, th- yeah, Bezos, Musk, all these people are, you know, I mean, I would say uh, Richard Branson's talking about satellites. Satellites are very lucrative. Um, uh, Bezos is talking about shooting packages to the to the moon, but That's like lucrative. this, I mean, they they believe that these are going to be lucrative. They're not doing this despite Elon Musk's bullshittery. He is not doing this with a humanitarian vision, or he's confused <laughs> humanitarian vision with with capitalism. Yeah, and that's the core, I mean, of, of all of this illness is when we talk about fake news and, and the bubble that a lot of Trump supporters are in, I mean, that's a, a, a targeting demographic bucket. That's basically identifying your users and saying, here's what we can do with those users. And then now coming back to, you know, what happened with Uber this this week, I mean, I, I, I think actually we should now stop and go, let's recap the whole shit, shit pile <laughs> that is Uber. And then we'll talk about the final one, which I think is is even more is okay. The most fascinating. So here's here's the rundown, and I would say that you know Travis um, Bickle, sorry, that's not the correct name, but that's the one I'm running with. Um, he was he was a um, he said he would be on Trump's scientific and technical be an advisor to Trump. Um, the day that Trump issued the first executive order his first executive order around immigration, and apparently we're going to get a, the revised one this week. Um, he, the, the, the taxi drivers in New York did a strike um, in part in solidarity with, you know, because of the, the high proportion of, of immigrants who work as taxi drivers. So they did a strike and Uber said, oh, yeah, well, we'll pick you up. You know, we don't, we won't, we will cross that, we will cross that picket line no problemo. Of course, of course. So there was a huge backlash against against Uber with a lot of people, you know, with the hashtag delete delete Uber. Um, and the things have sort of gone poorly since then. In the past week or so, there was a, a story written by a former, former um, engineer um, at Uber who claimed that she was one of the very few women working at the company and experienced repeated and pervasive sexual harassment. Um, the they've lost Uber's lost a couple of recent court cases, um, and then finally I I don't know if perhaps the I thought I thought I would have thought actually that the icing on the top of the cake was that a driver record made a recording of Travis in his car yelling at him, the two engaging in words about the ways in which um, Uber continually drives down the the wages that that one earns as being a. Um, a sharing economy participant, um, at being an Uber driver. I would have thought that that, and, and Travis came out and he said he was sorry and he needs to do better and he knows he needs to grow. I mean, he's a full grown man, but he was very apologetic and said he was going to get help. Um, and then on Friday, um, Mike Isaac, huge credit to Mike Isaac, tech reporter at the New York Times, broke this story about, the headline is how Uber deceives authorities worldwide. Yeah, I mean they basically have a have a system called Grayball that um, the managers use. Um, so I've, I, 
I've been thinking about this based upon your talk in Virginia a couple of weeks ago about the, the command and control and how Uber very much uses internet technology and platform technology um, like a military invading force. When they send a manager into a new That's hostile, a great analogy. Yeah. A hostile environment that is a city, okay, so you got to go into Barcelona, you got to go into London that have very powerful taxi lobbies, very entrenched and well-defined um, regulations about what's going on. I mean, they're going in and using the internet and using mobile technology and APIs to really um, take control and and optimize, you know, their market penetration and their any user that comes in via the app, they're segmenting and targeting and putting into different buckets. And they know whether you're a person of color, they know if you're a woman, they know if you're law enforcement or a regulator, they know who you are. And they were crafting uh, let's say special experiences just for investigators and regulators and law enforcement um, looking to bust them for operating in specific cities. Yeah, I mean, this story is the story is fascinating on so many levels. It's fascinating technologically, as you said. I mean, I think to me it really underscores the ways in which um, technology companies, when we even when we don't, you know, I mean, you might think. For example, okay, Uber does know quite a bit of information about you, right? Uber knows your location of where you're being picked up and the location of where you're going. And that's, that's, that's incredibly revealing information. But they were also able to geofence, um, or they would geofence certain office buildings that they knew were where authorities, law enforcement, regulators were from. And they would pay attention to who... Who was who were placing Uber requests from that geofenced area? They also, and this is fascinating, they would look for credit cards that were associated with police or similar kinds of credit unions. So again, Uber knows if you're a teacher, right? That's a very different level of marketing that people might not think about. They might think, oh well, Uber knows that I went to the dentist, took an Uber to the dentist on Tuesday, um, but but they can also, you know, they can also tell a lot about you based on the kind of credit card, um, the kind of credit card that you're using. They, they and then were finally tracking. they were tracking the burner phones that law enforcement yeah. were, had, um, had off or were procuring in order to be able to create, you know, in order to be able to create multiple accounts um, to be able to sort of do these sting operations on Uber. But they would, they would go, according to Mike's report, they would go to the stores where that would sell the cheapest burner phones in town, knowing that, you know, city governments tend not to have really, la- like, city governments aren't going to go out and buy a couple hundred or even 10 iPhones. They're going to buy burner phones. They're going to buy the cheapest burner phones. And they would identify the phone numbers associated with those burner phones. And those would be the ones that were given this gray ball app, which was this fake app that generated fake information um, in order to make sure that these, that these folks were not able to pick up an Uber ride. They were not able to catch Uber in the act of operating illegally. Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating smoke and mirrors. But when you when you think about it, it's just a a stepped up game of the smoke and mirrors they play with all of us with all of our apps. Um, you know, making I mean, which I think is so 
so ironic that at the same time that this is happening and the shit show of the 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 big crazy orange uncle in the White House, like the FCC is being dismantled. Like any final notions of what net neutrality um, is is being taken apart right now, and it's already kind of a joke to a certain degree when you think about the way that apps are being personalized and how much they know about us, all those data points you talked about, you know, your credit card, your phone number. I mean, they know that you, how much you and I are together because my account and your account, um, when we, you know, are so close together for such long periods of time, they, I mean, aside from other data points. So there's so much that they know about us and they're just putting us all into buckets. It's just fascinating that they have such a stepped up version of the game when it comes to going after regulators and and deceiving you know the government and police well i mean and this is of this is of course a, a fascinating mirror to what i was saying earlier about the nsa's capabilities right so these capabilities for tracking us rest in both the government and they rest in corporations um one of the things that i loved when I was, I mean, I, like Friday morning, uh, we were we were getting breakfast, and I got the push notification on my phone again. These friggin' push notifications, but about the story, and I was reading it as we were eating breakfast, and I was like, oh my god, this is like this is this is one of the most wild stories about technology that I've read in quite some time. But then thinking about the ways in which precisely this act of of the not just the faking of the data, but creating a creating a special experience the way you described it for a certain segment of the population to who will experience who will experience an application differently than an other segment of the population it of course happens all the time and in education technology we call it personalization right in facebook language we call it personalization like this is this is personalization this is the, and this is what like this is why I think that f for me there are so many questions around issues of disc algor algorithmic discrimination in education technology because we see the ways in which these data points are used and can be used and will be used to craft very different educational experiences based on the kinds of signals that you're giving out to the tech companies and of course the same technology that Uber uses to be able to identify regulators is not that it's not that far off than this than the technology that law enforcement would be using to identify illegal Uber drivers, right? It's all it's sort of the same it's the same coin. So I, I want to spend some time this coming week. I mean, I think actually the best the best way to do this is sort of through <laughs> through science fiction perhaps. Um um, and I would normally summon our friend uh, Tim Mon to, to, to write something, but I'm afraid that the things he writes come true all too quickly. But just thinking about the ways in which something like grayballing, well, you will call it grayballing, happens all the time in, in education technology, right? The ways in which people are identified in a certain way, and then they're going to be moved through the mobile experience moved through the software experience, moved through the institutional experience um, based on a certain set of characteristics that they don't necessarily realize that they're giving off. Um, and I find that to be really chilling, uh, again, because I do not trust any of these um, organizations, companies, institutions to act with the best interest uh, 
with the best with everyone's best interests at heart. Um, much like Elon Musk, again, confusing sort of something that you can say, oh, well, it's humanitarian, it's ed tech, I must be doing a good thing. You're actually sort of, I think, confusing this different ideological push for um, that is deeply, deeply embedded with neoliberalism, right? We're going to privatize everything. It's deeply embedded with libertarianism. I want you to have your individual best experience because the communal and community and group is somehow dangerous or bad or um, stifling. And I think that this is, this is what underlies so much of technolo the technologies that we are adopting um, without really thinking. And we, we can say Travis Bickle is, is just not a good person. Uber is just not a good company. Consistently, repeatedly, they've demonstrated that to you know to us. They have nothing but a track record of really wretched, bad, exploitative decisions. But we have to look beyond that and say this is actually the track record of computing technology writ large. This isn't just one or two bad apples, right? Travis Bickle is not just the one bad apple, and somehow Lyft are the good guys, right? This is this is you know it's not as though Mark Zuckerberg is the one bad apple or the one good apple, and and the rest of the tech world, the rest of the dudes who sit on his board, are somehow not implicated. This is all implicated. In, like I said, in this ideology of neoliberalism and an ideology of libertarianism, and one that sadly seems pretty happy to be profiting from um, what did you? I would say the you know the the Cheeto Mussolini. Well, this is. I mean, this is. This shows the the system's going to pop up real fast, and you know the machine and 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 say exactly that. You know, this is a, a one one bad apple. This is a bunch of bros in one company. This isn't what the system is like. But this is what this represents a, a game plan, a, a way of invading and attacking and assaulting and taking on a market. And this is what you've been counteracting in ed tech for years. This is not anything new. This is not anything original. They're just playing it in a super aggressive bro kind of driven way. And there's umpteen number of thousands of other companies being launched, being trained up in these coding boot camps to do exactly this and enter into markets in this way. This is um, what happens when you have something born out of military whispering in the ears of young white men who who are privileged and 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 totally ignore all the implications of what they're doing and when those strings are being pulled by venture capitalists and people with lots of money to basically invade and when when you have this going on in healthcare and education in transportation so many industries get weakened by this and disrupted um, I mean, this is this is how business is, is is being done via these platforms right now. Well, and I think that you know, to I think that I mean, one of the there are, like there are so many things about this story I find wild, but that that one's ideology and you know, Travis um, is a well known fan of Ayn Rand. He's a libertarian. He is anti, obviously. I mean, he's anti regulation. That's sort of the point of of Uber is to is to subvert the regulations around the the taxi uh, the taxi industry, um, but the regulations again are a thing that are put in place to protect the group, right? To protect the 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 vulnerable, and so that he would spend um, and that Uber would spend time 
creating this gray ball, this rather sophisticated gray ball program in terms of both software and in terms of just sort of like engineering the plan to get into a new city rather than going through the process of, um, you know, filing out the paperwork, going to city council meetings, meeting, you know, doing, you know, doing the things that the regulations demand, that they would spend all of this time and energy subverting the regulations, I think is, and through through this sort of technological, extravagantly complicated system is, is, is to me, such a great indication of the, the lengths to which um, the Silicon Valley is willing to go to sort of make things worse for most of us. Better, better for a few elite, better for investors perhaps, but really, you know, make things worse. And as we look at the Trump administration, which has sworn it's going to get rid of regulations, including things like clean air and clean water, um, that, uh, you know, we're, and again, part of with the rationale of saying that regulations stop innovation, uh, this, it's just, it's just a really damaging, frightening, unhealthy future. Well, and it's really dangerous and scary when these, these young, seemingly smart individuals, these engineers, these startup entrepreneurs are being kind of indoctrinated into this, this libertarian, uh, you know, kind of vision, um, without any awareness of the past or history. And I mean, it's not just, uh, you know, the sharing economy and what it's it's doing to, you know, kind of the labor market. It's, you know, think of blockchain, think of the ideology that's going into blockchain and that these these people are just plowing forward without any, you know, in the, in the case of Uber, you know, people with disabilities. You know, what does, you know, not paying attention to the regulations and dismantling all of these, the, this safety net for people who just can't get around and actually depend on, you know, uh, a, a car showing up to pick them up and get them to the doctor, things that are important like that. And then think of all, you know, when the when the establishment rises up in the next couple of weeks and kind of pushes Uber off, oh, they're they're going to die. Lyft's great. Uber's going to die because they're, they're just a bad, they're a rotten apple. Think of how many people over the last couple of years have said, hey, my startup for education is the Uber for education, is the Uber for, you know, how many people have wielded that totally oblivious to the fact of what they're wielding oh, and I what think they're, they're I don't think they're oblivious. I don't think they're oblivious at all. That's I think that's a very generous on your part because I think that when people say that they want to be the Uber for education, they they and then they follow it up with saying, we want to get rid of tenure, right? We we've we want to disrupt and subvert the teachers unions. Uh the we want to get rid of we want to get rid of rules like gameful employment. Uh, they know what they're I mean, they, they aren't using that casually. Um, they absolutely know what they what they're saying when they when they make that comparison. They want to say that the regulations in their particular industry are cumbersome and burdensome, and what they plan to do is is absolutely subvert the labor market. Right. This is about subverting the labor market. This is about subverting unionized labor 
um, in order to make a profit on, on the backs of people who will, instead of, in, you know, be shouldering, be shouldering risk themselves instead of being employees, instead of having benefits, instead of having retirement plans, instead of being protected from, you know, harassment on the job or injuries on the job, they will, they move all of that off onto the, um, the freelance employee. And that is absolutely what people want when they say they want to be the Uber for education. They know what they're saying. Yeah. Then they can nickel and dime and, and trickle the knowledge as they see fit to, to who they, they think should get it because you can create and craft exactly the experience that, uh, that, uh, Uber wants for you when it comes to education. Yeah. You could, you could be like the gray ball for MOOCs. I wonder who's doing that. Interesting. Uh, some good thoughts there. All right. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see what the uh, what the next week holds. Uh, I have, uh, like you said, you weren't sure you were going to be able to do four years of this. I think we're going to have to see um, how long how long the Trump administration lasts. But it, there, we have really no option but to um, remain as vigilant as we can and continue the work of Contrafabulist, which is. You know, I think calling uh, calling out the bullshit and helping people understand that these things are really not just one a, a one off a one off occurrence. That this is sort of the systemic, systematic, ideological underpinning of the technologies that they adopt um, and use all the time. So, until next week. Yeah, until next week. Mm-hmm.